Hi, listeners, watchers. This is the Steve Perryman podcast. Uh, a bit different in a way because being the end of the season, I think we are all ready for a rest. This is being sent out uh, the night before the Norwich result. So we're all very hopeful, certainly on the front foot and positive. So, um, to have the rest, we still want to put podcasts out. So I had this idea of uh, sending this text to all the people that have guested on the podcast so far. And I'm including Tom and Howard in this because they're regular guests as such. So hi all, I'm asking everyone that has guested on my podcast if they could ask me one question on a video, please about anything pre-career or any subject that is worth a listen. Could you please help within the next week? Much, appreciate, much appreciated in anticipation. Thanks and regards, Steve Pestyman, meaning Perryman. So um, most have come back to me. And um, so we're gonna start. So there's about 12, 14 people involved in these questions. So obviously I can't just put it all on one podcast. So I think it will probably go over about two or three. So this is the first one and um, hope you enjoy listening to their questions and uh, my answers. Some that you've probably heard before if you're a regular, regular uh, Steve Perriman podcasters. So the first one is from Norman Giller. Show us Norman, please. Steve, we've known each other Wow, more than 50 years, and you're still a baby-faced assassin. I want what you're on, mate. <laughs> Mind you, being married to a beautiful lady like Kim must help. Anyway, my question for you is this. With a gun to your head, which one player would you want playing for your life of all those wonderful footballers who were your Tottenham teammates on the way to your club record 854 appearances. Over to you, Master. Love to Kim. Stay safe and sane. Bye. <laughs> Thank you, Norman. Um, yeah, good question. Uh, you would have to hold a gun to my head, as you put it, for me to nominate one of the great number of fantastic players that I've played with. When you're thinking about Jimmy Greaves and Pat Jennings and Martin Chivers and Mike England and Nossi Ardiles, Glenn Hoddle, all these people, all these wonderful people, which is, you know, been such an honour to play with. But as you said, gun to my head and in order to get a result. Um, so gave it some thought and I've come up with um, the solid, the reliable and never panicked Pat Jennings. Pat, a wonderful person, great, great, great goalkeeper. Um, why was he great? Because he controlled his area. He was the absolute box in that penalty area. He was the boss, the boss in his box, not the 
what they call it, fox in the box. He was the boss in the box. Um, distribution, excellent. I just can envisage Pat taking a cross one-handed. As his feet touched the floor, whoom, it went out. Normally to Cyril Knowles. And sometimes he threw the ball out in such a way it curved into Cyril's run. And Cyril wouldn't actually have to touch it until the halfway line. So great distribution, fantastic kicker with the ball. Uh, and Powell we know about because I think he actually scored goals from his goal kicks, which is not normal, is it? So um, decision-making, fantastic. Uh, he kept goal according to the plan of the manager. Some managers like you to show inside as a defender. And therefore, they're, you know, that sort of goalkeeper's happy to deal with a shot. Others want the opponent to be shown on the outside. And therefore, the goalkeeper that would then be dealing with a cross. Um, so in my time, uh, Pat was under Bill Nicholson and Terry Neal and Keith Birkinshaw, of course. Um, but I know that Pat's favourite was the player to be shown on the outside, therefore dealing with a cross rather than the shot. And um, we still discuss it these days when that, that situation isn't happening. Um, not a textbook goalkeeper by any means. Um, he saved a lot with his feet and his legs. And um, But what a shot stopper. And I mentioned it before, taking of crosses. That was testimony to his leap in his legs. And uh, I remember when we used to do like weight sessions or agility sessions in the small gymnasium outside the indoor ball court. And we used to have to stand in between some benches and the benches would be about three high. And you'd have to leap and plant your feet on top of the benches. Uh, Pat could do four four benches so as we're watching him do it we're fearful of him not making it um but of course he could so the perfect size the perfect agility um and the prowess to be one of the top goalkeepers in the world and therefore um with the gun to my head i'm naming pat jennings norman but thanks for the question next comes mike varney Mike Varney, uh, of course, was physiotherapist for a number of years. He sent it to me because he's been away, enjoying a break. And his question was, how did you play so many games without being injured much or um, getting a career-threatening injury? So, of course, that's a physiotherapist question. Um, I like to think that I've got a common sense about the way that I go about things. And that common sense uh, is particularly relevant to how you deal with injuries when you get them, small and big, you've got to deal with them in the right way. Um, I would report anything that I felt in my body after games, before games, during games, to the medical staff and by doing that, I thought that I was, instead of keeping 100% of the injury to myself, I was actually spreading it to Mike, and therefore now it's 
50% his problem, 50% mine. So straight away, I'm, I'm improving. And of course, that would then maybe go on to the doctor. Um, so communication, absolutely everything. I communicated with myself because I knew my body and my game. So um, looking back, I wasn't tall. I wasn't quick. And I think both those things helped me uh, to give this answer. So I had to have something, and that something was anticipation. As Bill Nicholson used to say, Steve, Steve, son, anticipation. Hopefully I got the message. And um, so I was able to read situations. Um, so my lack of pace wasn't called into question quite as much as it, it should have been. Um, so I was prepared to do not only the hard yards in recovery to our goal as a defensive midfield player, but also the early yards. And um, so that, that's part of the reason why I was never over, really overstretching myself. Um, I knew with experience when not to train. That sounds like I was lazy. I certainly wasn't that. But if I was feeling something and I didn't, my body didn't feel right, maybe because of lack of sleep the night before or something, um, then I was prepared to put that to the medical staff and they were good enough, probably because years of having dealt with me and my decision-making on, on injuries, that they were prepared to let me miss the odd day or two. And it would only be a couple of days a year season uh, but they trusted me enough to uh, to be listened to um, I had a technique in challenging for the ball I was known for my tackling the fact that I was small low center of gravity and I used to put everything low into the ball into the ball and by that all my power is behind behind the ball and therefore I wasn't sort of hanging legs out to dry or my knees out to dry and then getting a hit, a surprised hit that your body couldn't deal with. Um, and it's also, also important to say that I was positive into those challenges. I actually expected to win the ball. And I've said it before about um, passing this on to Mickey Hazard that, Mickey, I'm successful at tackling because... I'm all I'm interested in is the tackle. I'm 100% focused on this tackle. And although Bill Nick did say, Steve, you can tackle and pass the ball at the same time. Um, so you're tackling in the direction of where you want the ball to go, it's sort of obvious. I used to think that Mickey, for instance, used to tackle and his focus used to come up because not being, not being frightened or anything, but it'd be thinking, well, when I win this tackle, I'm going to pass the ball over there. Well, then the focus is not 100% into the ball, which I think is vital, um, especially not to get injured in, in such challenges. Uh, some luck must play its part, of course. Um, the, other, the other thing I'm really important about is I trusted the medical opinion of the staff, the doctors, the physios, etc. And why wouldn't I? Why wouldn't I trust their advice? They've got this 
superior knowledge they've trained they've, they've gone to college they've gone to university so if they were giving me advice i was clever enough to take it um, but also the common sense aspect that i spoke about is also invaluable at, at uh, moments like this i remember being with a group of injured players on a monday morning and a doctor looking at us in the end and passing out tablets and the instruction would be two red ones before food, one blue one after food, and one yellow one, for instance, when you go to bed at night. And I've witnessed players walking out of the physio room where they've just taken stock of the tablets and then throwing them straight in the bin. And I used to think, wow, they know more than the doctor. Wow, that's amazing. That's a young Steve Perriman thinking that. But the old Steve Perriman would think, wow, how can you possibly know more than the doctor? It's, that's not possible. So um, I listened to, um, to advice. And when the crunch came on a, a decision on the borderline of, should I play, should I not play? I always ask the, the same question. If I play, will this make this injury worse? And if the answer was no, Steve, you cannot make it worse uh, by the nature of the injury, um, then I would definitely play. So uh, I think I needed, or you need as a player, a selfish attitude to um, dealing with an injury. If you end up with a fat ankle on, after a game on a Saturday, which can happen easily. And I'd promised my young family a trip to say London Zoo where you've got to walk around for maybe a couple of hours. Um, if that next game was going to be on the Tuesday or Wednesday, I would not risk um, me walking on it for, for a couple of hours. So the, 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 the London Zoo visit would be off. And that's me thinking that I'm doing right by my body and my injury. Um, lastly, being brought up in Bill Nick and Eddie Bailey's era, um, where you learn most of your lessons. Uh, there was two things that were said about players. He's a bit weak, which was probably about mentality. Uh, and he's a, he's a bottle job or a bottler. And I used to think they're never going to save those two things about me. So um, I think it gave me a purpose on my tackling, on my challenging, on my work rate. And therefore, the staff, football-wise or injury-wise, trusted me. And therefore, now you've got two groups of people, the player and the staff, trusting each other. And that meant that I was selected and trusted. And, yeah. And I think my positive mental attitude helped me, uh, helped me stave off a lot of injuries. So thank you, Mike. Good question. And... Uh, obviously a medical question so well done you thank you very much hi skipper it's graham roberts uh, my question to you is in the 1981 cup final ricky velia got taken off in the first game you was very close with keith burtonshaw our manager what did you say to keith and what was keith's answer to you we're playing ricky on the thursday night all the best, good luck, and come on you Spurs.
Graham, I think you're going to try and embarrass me with this one. Um, and by the fact that we've done so many events together, you know the, you know the answer. So um, I'm going to own up. Uh, so we play the 81 final the, on the Saturday, the first game. And nobody did well in that game. And I say nobody. And Manchester City were very lucky, uh, unlucky not to get a, a win. But we scraped the draw. And um, that, that actually gave us confidence for the second game. Because if we could draw with a team with nobody playing well, we must have a chance if we get back to our normal form level. So, um, Ricky, you'll remember, uh, for lots of reasons, uh, trooped off, having been substituted, disappointed with himself, disappointed at being subbed, forlorn figure, walking around the dog track at Wembley, head bowed, and I think that game was live in Argentina. So it had extra significance to, um, to show his disappointment. At the end of the game, having got away with the draw, um, we're now going to go into the dressing room and do everything that we do. And Keith says a few words. And then eventually go into the showers, bath, come out, and players definitely out of the dressing room before me because I used to take my time. So um, Keith came up to me and said, so it was Keith leading it in his Yorkshire manner. Steve, would you play Ricky in replay? So I said, not having given it too much thought, actually, but I said, no, Keith, not a, no, not a chance, because I was particularly disappointed the fact that he didn't stay on the bench to watch the rest of the game, having been substituted. So um, not that I said that to Keith, um, that's my thinking. And um, he said, well, I'm telling you, he is definitely playing in the replay. 100% he's playing. So I said, Keith, that's why you're the manager. You have to make decisions like this. But what I will say to you is that if you are so sure, if you're so sure, well done you. Um, but go and find Ricky now, wherever he is, because he's, he's sat in a corner or sat on the bus, very disappointed with his display. Go and tell him how much you like him, how much you trust him, and how he is 100% sure of being selected for Thursday's replay. Because that will give him such a lift, a low moment in his career and his life, um, having played so poorly. So I like to think that I helped that situation of because of uh, Keith might have done it anyway. Um, but he did do it. And after that, we got on the bus and we had to go to the West End to have a so-called celebration uh, function. These things have to be arranged before you know the result. Everyone was disappointed. Bill Nicholson sort of was a bit, bit harsh, but that's Bill, about the way we played. And of course we knew that we didn't play well. So um, Graham, I think you've tried to embarrass me there with that question. And I'm suitably embarrassed with my answer. 
but uh, I think I helped the, it to go positive from that moment on and uh, tells you what a difficult job managers have got. If you were the manager, you listeners, if you were the manager at that time, at that moment after the game, having just got out of jail, would could you say that you would have definitely picked Ricky the second game? In hindsight, of course you would, because we know the quality of the of the um, the replay winning goal. Um, I'm always asked, um, did you get that one wrong, Steve? Of course I did, but I also say. Well, actually, you never know because it didn't happen. The Tottenham team didn't play on the Thursday night without Ricky in the team. So maybe, who knows, we might have won more comfortably. I don't think so. Well, we certainly wouldn't have won more entertainingly and um, because of the quality of Ricky's goals that we're all never, ever going to forget. Um, I'm sure you're sat at door, indoors now or in your car running that, goal through your mind and what a great goal it was so well done Ricky thanks for getting us uh, out of jail at that moment and we all know how important that victory was to to the future of Tottenham Hotspur being back on the big stage having recovered from relegation and then started off a purple patch of four or five years and Ricky's goal led us to that so um, so yeah good question Graham thank you very much Julie Welch is going to do the next question. Julie, thank you very much. And uh, far away, give us your question. Hi, Steve. My question would be, if you were 15 now, which elite academy would you have chosen to attend? Hi, Julie. What a good question. Um, anyone would think that you are a, a journalist with such a good question. So... Um, Trying to think back, you, you remember the story. I was 15 years of age. I wasn't signed for any club, therefore I could look at everyone. Tottenham was the first club to knock on my door. Um, having played during that season for Ealing Schoolboys, Middlesex, London and England, uh, I had lots of offers. I eventually decided to join Tottenham Hotspur, which again was the first club to knock on my door, so I could have saved myself a lot of aggravation if I'd have signed that form there and then the first time I was asked. But it's nice to be wanted, and I certainly was wanted during that season. So um, what would change today? Well, um, again, if you remember the story, geography meant a lot. I was never going to leave home. I was never going to go in digs. And uh, that was very important to me. Also, Bill Nicholson, the quality of the manager. Um, but also facilities. So my local team being QPR, who were in the old third division, I used to watch them every other week, um, but didn't have the facilities at Tottenham. So I think all things being equal, if geographically was still in play, as per my decision, then um, I have no reason to look beyond Tottenham Hotspur, think of their facilities, um, Think of the wonderful manager they've got now. Um, would I have uh, would I have been as relatively uh, well liked by Conte as Bill Nicholson? Who knows? Um, but also important when you're joining the club as an apprentice, as I was, um, probably for a couple of years, you were under the 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 watchful eye of the youth coach. 
doesn't matter how big your club is uh, and your manager is famous and the, the, the trophies that is achieved already, um, you're actually dealing with the youth coach and it's about his abilities to bring out the best in your game. Um, so, uh, yeah, difficult one. Um, I would also have to look at what homegrown players were in Tottenham's team at the time. Uh, young Skip, Harry Winks. But the big one that would have the effect on me would have been Harry Kane. I'm not a striker. I'm a midfield player like the first two I mentioned. But the fact that Harry Kane has reached the, the pinnacle of, of, well, who knows it's the pinnacle, but the near pinnacle of his career by staying at one club, be it Tottenham Hotspur, is enough of an advert to, to, to veer a lot of budding footballers towards the, the uh, North London Giants that we are. So, um, so, yeah, if, for instance, for the sake of the question, I wasn't worried about ge geographical uh, situations. Um, and I, if I'd been now, all these years on, prepared to move, I think I would have opted for Liverpool. Um, just as a discussion piece, I'm very close to Alex Inglethorpe. He used to work for Tottenham Hotspur. He left Exeter. I'd already had him as a, a reserve team player at Watford. So um, we took him as youth coach from Orient to be our manager at Exeter City. He moved on after a couple of years to Tottenham's youth team and now has ended up at Liverpool. So I hear a lot about their system and the way, the way they use uh, legendary players, for instance, um, to talk to parents and smooth things along. And I very much like that. And I like the, the influence of the manager into the youth area. And I also love the input of the chairman. The chairman, the owner, albeit lives in America, um, regularly speaks to Alex about the young players in his group. And I know that he thanked Alex um, about a year ago for the money that Alex has brought in by developing young players who might have just got in the first team for the odd game or sat on the bench, etc., but filled the squad up, um, but sold them on eventually for good money. And the chairman's point was that uh, that money, that extra money gained through young players' development helped along by Alex Inglethorpe's experience, um, has helped them sign a top, top, top class goalkeeper instead of just a top one, a top, top, top class centre-back instead of just a good centre-back and how this has made the difference to the quality of signings. So um, also my experience has been um, with Exeter City, uh, that was proven to uh, produce young players. I'm not a snob enough to think that you have to be at a top club to produce top players. Ollie Watkins come through our system, for instance. And um, yeah, 
there are some benefits of being outside of the main core of clubs that are thought to be developing clubs. Um, sometimes you pick up the, the players that have been cast aside by bigger clubs. There's no problem with that. There's absolutely no problem. Sometimes that puts a more of a, a purpose and an energy into that player, the fact he's been released. And um, so, yeah, of course, if I had a choice, I would go to a Tottenham or a Liverpool than an Exeter. But you know what? You choose whatever place matches with you, with your temperament, with your character. And as long as whoever's teaching you, and maybe, maybe, just maybe the youth team man may fit your game, your personal game of Exeter City more than the, the one in place at Tottenham or Liverpool. You never know. So um, like most things, there's a lot of luck involved. But, um, but yeah, that's my answer. No reason to look above um, beyond Tottenham Hotspur. I'm proud of the, the time I spent there as an apprentice and then a young pro and then an experienced pro and captain. Um, but there's, there's, there's other clubs out there as well that can teach young, young people how to play. Very good question. Thank you, um, Julie. Much appreciated. Hope you're well. So that's the end of this podcast. Thank you very much for listening. Tom, um, you've been helpful with regard to this one. Um, like all the others um, you're going to have a question for me which will be on the second or third stage of this particular type of podcast um, are you confident about our chances at Norwich I think I've got less confident throughout the week I think the um, the new the Newcastle game the Newcastle Everton, uh, Newcastle Arsenal game was uh, probably the tensest I've ever felt during a, a non-Spurs game or at least in, in recent memory uh, and I've probably celebrated the goals just as much as some of the um, biggest Tottenham games in recent years. Um, and the game ended feeling like that was it. They've, they've, they've messed it up. And uh, uh, it's now a, a foregone conclusion that we're going to be in the Champions League. But as each day since then has gone by, I've started thinking more and more about what could go wrong or what if we just had a stinker on the final day. So um, I'm just dying for it to be this time tomorrow. And uh, and we and we'll hopefully be celebrating, and we can just enjoy the summer, <laughs> knowing that uh, knowing that we're in the Champions League, and uh, and we're very much likely keeping our our brilliant manager, keeping our best players, and uh, and, and and the only way is up. I mean, yeah, I'm. It'd be it'd be a massive shock if we don't do what needs to be done tomorrow. I'm I'm feeling very positive, but being a Spurs um, supporter as I am now, that's not always a good place to be being over positive so um i come back to it thanks very much for listening um because of having a rest for the next couple of weeks from the normal podcast we're going to go through some more um programs like this one we've got graham suness with two questions peter taylor steve borthwick uh, mickey hazard howard and tom don't forget your questions tom gary stevens tony galvin Paul Rusco, Adam, Adam who wrote the book with me, nice, nice guy, Adam. He's got a particularly good question for me. So um, yeah, keep listening. Don't switch off because we're at the end of the season. Um, there's more good stuff coming your way, but um, 
we need you to keep listening. So thanks very much for this one. And of course, for the last time this season, come on, you Spurs, please. Come on, you Spurs. <laughs> <laughs>